Let's pray. God, first of all, this morning we recognize that we draw near by grace, that it is uh, access that we don't rate, that we haven't earned, that we don't even maintain. Lord, this morning, before we continue uh, engaging you through your word, we just want to say thank you for giving us access through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for grace and mercy and love extended us in the person and work of Jesus. We marvel. Lord, we pray that you'll be enjoyed in these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to John chapter 16. This Sunday is in some ways a transition message. We're transitioning out of John 16 and, and we'll be moving into John 17 next week if the Lord wills it. And there are some treasures left in John 16 that all have to do with prayer. So this morning we're going to pick up those treasures and over the course of the morning's message... We're going to look at this sermon in three pieces, and after each section, we're going to spend some time in prayer. So it'll be a little different, but different can be good. I'm going to begin by reading the chapter 16, just for the sake of context. We'll climb into it and then draw out these three important sections. Shared by Christ on the eve of his crucifixion with the eleven said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak not on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, 
Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until, you've asked no, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving this world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Three sections I want to engage this morning. The first section begins in chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit that's promised, that is in some ways the better outcome. It's better for you that I go away because I'm going to send this Holy Spirit. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And also in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Some ways he's saying, I'm going to go away. My earthly ministry is coming to a close. Not completely, but close. And this Holy Spirit that I'm going to send, he's going to continue the message and share those many things that I have yet to share with you. He will guide you into all truth. One of the sweet realities of these two passages, looking at them together and looking at the role of the Holy Spirit, is that if we really look at them close, we realize that the Holy Spirit does the very thing that we work so hard at doing or should be working so hard at doing. I think about my life mission. If I were to have a life mission, I hope it would be to be an instrument in convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. To be an instrument that God might use to guide others into all truth. 
I look at these things and I say, man, I want to be about that. I want to be about that in the life of my family. I want to be about these things in the life of my church. And when I look at this passage, I see clearly that it's the Holy Spirit that does those things. In some ways, it's encouraging, it's uplifting, it's freeing to realize that the Holy Spirit does the very thing that we should be so diligent and vigilant about working at. Engaging others that don't know him, bringing them to a place of conviction over their sin, over their lack of righteousness and the righteousness that's found in Christ, and the sure judgment that's already been meted out on Satan. And that we should be burdened and about the work of guiding others into all truth. When we look at this, we see the Holy Spirit. He's the one that does it. I did a little research online. It took me about five minutes. It wasn't real thorough research, but it's all it took, really. I wanted to see how many entries on Amazon there were for evangelism. There are 14,229 entries on Amazon.com having to do with evangelism. There are 614 books on church planting. On Amazon, there are 68,112 entries on Christian missions. There are 14,371 results on preaching. There are 68,287 entries on parenting. Anybody have time for all those? How do we know which ones to read? How do we know which ones to listen to? There are 8,060,000 Google results on evangelism. There are 70,100,000 Google results on parenting. Now, I know some of y'all stay up late and surf the web, but you can stay up every night, all night, for the rest of your lives and not scratch the surface of all the offerings that are out there, all the books, all the websites. If you want to be an expert on sharing your faith or starting churches or on mission work or on preaching or on parenting, I hope you want that. How would you know which books to read? How would you even find the time? You need to know this is not an effort to devalue the usefulness of books. I love books. I've got an office full of them. I'm thankful for the internet. I'm thankful for the resources that are right at our fingertips. But with the myriad of books dealing with methods and schemes and new ways of doing things, new ways of engaging or being the church... New ways to plant the church, new ways to preach, new ways to parent. It's helpful for us just to consider, just for a moment, that it's the Holy Spirit that really gets it done. It just puts things in perspective. These millions of resources, it puts them in perspective. And we go, wait a second, how much time am I pursuing the old method or the new method? Contrasted with prayer to the living God, asking for him to do what he does already. How much time do I really spend engaging God, asking him to intervene? Whatever our method of parenting or preaching or planting our church or being the church, whatever we might say, whatever we might do is irrelevant if the Holy Spirit is not engaged. It's absolutely and completely irrelevant. If the Holy Spirit is not the one doing it. And on the other hand, if he is engaged, he can do great things with pretty meager wares. It seems, in fact, to be his modus operandi. To take the meager and the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That way he gets all the glory. How vast 
the books on parenting and how little prayer for our children. How vast the opinions. How expansive the ideas and thoughts about how to parent kids and equip kids and teach kids and lead kids. How much advice is offered and how much is sought. Given what the Holy Spirit does, shouldn't we spend more time praying than discussing? Nothing wrong with discussing. There's nothing wrong with reading. But shouldn't we go to the Lord first, considering it's the Holy Spirit that does it? I was talking with Scott about this beforehand, and Scott said, man, I can't tell you how often I'm sitting in my office, and I come across a passage of Scripture that's difficult or confounding or confusing, and I wheel my chair around and look at my library. Which book am I going to consult? And that library serves a purpose. But the intermediate step as he's wheeling around and mine needs to be the same and yours needs to be the same in regards to your children or your family or your friends or life. needs to be to go to the Lord first. Lord, do what you do. Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment and guide us into all truth. If God is the one who convicts our friends and our family and our community concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, if it's the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, then let's spend the next few minutes in prayer. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, in light of these realities that we've engaged just in these couple of verses in John chapter 16, Lord, first of all, I ask personally for forgiveness for running to resources before I come to you. Lord, I ask your forgiveness for trying to problem solve before I pray. Lord, I pray in light of these passages that show us that it's the Holy Spirit that guides into all truth and the Holy Spirit that convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. First, I pray for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction concerning sin in the life of friends, neighbors, family members, workmates, in the lives of our kids, in the lives of the shepherds in this church. Lord, I pray for conviction concerning unbelief. I recognize that the best sermon in the world, the best method in the world, is bankrupt and fruitless apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And I also recognize that the Holy Spirit can do some amazing things with some meager wares. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will work through feeble, frail people with meager wares to bring the unbelieving into a place of conviction over unbelief. Lord, I pray that those who don't know you and don't believe in you and don't trust that Christ is your son and crucified and risen, I pray that they can see your fingerprints and sunsets. I pray that they can see your design and a baby's smile. And they can trust and know that a God who's done those things is a God that wants to be known. And a God who would have clearly communicated himself in a word that is self-authenticating and self-validating in its wholeness. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. And names and faces come to mind as I'm praying that prayer. And I pray that those names and faces that come to mind from, for the people in this body, that you will bring them to a place of conviction over their sin of unbelief. Lord, I pray for conviction concerning righteousness. I pray for the Holy Spirit to give us a view to our feeble efforts at righteousness. Lord, I pray that you'll just bring all things into the light. 
and the things that we're so proud of, our little feeble efforts at righteousness, that you will show them for what they are. I pray that you'll bring our failures to light so that we can see and enjoy the perfections of Christ. I pray for a Holy Spirit confidence in the perfection of a carpenter raised in Nazareth, crucified and risen in Jerusalem, a perfect priest offering a perfect, unblemished sacrifice of himself. I pray that the Holy Spirit will do that sweet work of convicting us concerning righteousness. I pray for the Holy Spirit's work of conviction concerning judgment, that he'll give us a view to eternal punishment, that we can just get some sense of how long eternity is. Lord, I pray that the Spirit will keep us awake over your justice and your holiness and our sinfulness so that we feel the flame and flicker of hell. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will sober us over the matter of eternity. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, all truth. All those things that you had left to say to the disciples that you've clearly said in this finished book that we hold in our laps. I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us into these realities and make us out loud worshipers gripped by grace and overwhelmed with the gospel that will be out loud with the enjoyment of a risen Lord and that will be vocally and publicly scandalized that grace would reach so low. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth of what it means to walk together as a church. I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth of our marriages as more than a remedy for loneliness, but rather as living pictures of gospel. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth of eternal blessing or eternal punishment so that our lives seem really short and so that we're really sober and so that we're faithful tending to the garden of this day. Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to mobilize us. I pray for the Holy Spirit to keep us in step with him. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look at verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In that day, in verse 23, refers to the resurrection. Refers to a time when he will see them again. We know that from the verse before in verse 22. They won't be full of questions in that day as they are on this eve of his crucifixion because they'll be connecting the dots in all they've heard as they see a risen Lord. The next verse, in verse 24, he says, You've asked nothing in my name before now or until now. You've asked nothing in my name because I've been with you. 
It would be inappropriate to pray in my name because I'm right here with you. But after tomorrow and then after Sunday, after I've completed a finished work, then praying in my name will be fully and completely appropriate. And God will answer those prayers. And the emphasis here is not on ask, uh, on asking whatever. There's a whole strain in the Christian community that wants to focus on the whatever. Ask whatever and get a car or a boat or a mansion. The emphasis is not on asking the whatever in his name. The emphasis is on he will give it to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father's name, he will give it to you. Whatever you ask in, in my name, and the Father will give it to you. Up to this time, you've not prayed in my name because I've been with you. But now in light of what will unfold tomorrow and Sunday, you will ask in my name and you will receive. And I want to consider just this verse 24 and pick it apart a little bit. This word ask, it's hard to really bring it out in English, but in the Greek, it's a present tense verb. So it would be more like keep on asking. It's not a one-time request. It's a daily request. It reflects a practice. It reflects a discipline of prayer. Ask or keep on asking and receive that your joy may be full. This word full is used in other places, translated fulfilled, translated complete. Ask or keep on asking and you're going to receive that your joy may be fulfilled, that your joy may be complete. It's also the same word that's used in chapter 12 verse 3 where Mary anoints Christ with the nard and the aroma fills the house. Fills every room of the house. Ask and receive that your joy may fill every room. He knows his people are going to go through trial. And when they do, he wants them to pray and ask and to trust him. And he's going to put joy in their hearts that's full and permanent We've got to appreciate and connect to the reality that complete joy, fulfilled joy, whole house, every room full joy only comes with prayer. Present tense prayer. You won't find it any other way. Real joy only comes with present tense prayer. I'm thankful for a God that's not going to let us get away with finding real joy, abiding joy anywhere else. Somebody posted a video this week from the I Am Second website, a guy named Brian Welch, who's the former lead singer for Corn. This guy is a really odd looking dude. And he's got a crazy story. And he's sharing this story about how he found little pieces, little tastes of joy. One that was most pronounced is when his child was born. But it wasn't long after that, before that joy faded, and he went right back to drugs. And his life was a train wreck. And I thought about his story was the same story that I've experienced, that I've seen in you. Little joylets, we'll call them. Little tastes of joy that don't abide because we've looked for them in the wrong place. Even the joy of a child being born. I know that joy. 
I've experienced it three times, and I've experienced vicariously through the children that have been born into your families. That is a time of joy, but that joy fades when that baby stays up all night long crying. And that joy fades in other ways that we don't have to get graphic. <laughs> or the joy of marriage. I've had the privilege of doing, I don't know, eight or ten weddings. And the joy that's experienced between a man and woman on the day of their wedding ceremony and the family that's experiencing this joy and then only months later to see the deer in the headlights look as they're saying, where did that joy go? What happened? It doesn't happen in every marriage, but it happened in mine. And it happens in more marriages than not, little joylets, little tastes of joy because we've made a God or an idol of that moment or that thing. We can make a God or an idol of a child being born, <clears throat> as Brian Welch did. We can make a God or an idol of a new job, of a relationship, of a spouse. And I'm thankful for a God that won't, get a, won't let us get away with finding joy in those things. Abiding joy. All we get is a joylet, a taste of what it really is to enjoy Him. You might know that joylet in getting a new car, or getting a new house, or getting a new pair of shoes, even a new pair of shoes, or a new hairdo, or a new outfit. That joy doesn't last. I'm thankful for a God that doesn't let it last. That activity, that event, that thing will let us down without fail. We will not and cannot find abiding joy in those things. He's the only source of abiding and full joy, and you won't find it without the asking. You can listen to this passage or you can turn there with me. It's up to you. Luke chapter 11, I'm going to start reading, but just listen to this picture that he gives us of the asking and how it unfolds. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door's now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, here, present tense, asking, keep on asking, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will the heavenly father give, watch, the Holy Spirit to those who 
ask him. This whole paragraph, and we're thinking about all the things we can ask for, and the carrot that he holds out there at the end is ask for the Holy Spirit. That's where the joy comes from. It connects to our first section in prayer, that the real goods come with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together in light of these passages. Lord, we pray for joy. We pray for a joy that while it weeps, it laughs. For a joy that while it fears, it trusts. A joy that while it wonders, knows. Lord, we ask for daily and abiding and full joy that replaces every sorrow, that exceeds understanding. We pray for a joy that's not a fake, painted-on, cheap smile, but a deep reality. We pray for a joy that's a sweet, authentic, genuine aroma to some. Lord, we're thankful you won't let us find real joy, real full, abiding, whole house joy apart from you. We're thankful that you're jealous and that we'll be miserable looking for what only you can provide in others. We're thankful that you'll make others miserable too should we look to them for only what you can provide. Lord, I pray that you will create in us a present tense asking And that we'll have real fellowship and real conversation with you as a result. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's look at verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. Through what he's about to do on the next day, they're going to have direct access to Yahweh. We're going to explore the Jewish mind here for a moment. But let me preface it to say that they didn't even use the name Yahweh. In fact, they referred to the name Yahweh as the name or the ineffable name or the unutterable name. There was such a vast distance between them and Yahweh that this would have been a shocker. He says, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. This means that they won't have to go to a go-between. Jesus isn't going to be their little uh, messenger boy. Jesus is going to be seated by the right hand, and they're going to have direct access to the Father. This is a shocking reality. Direct access to Yahweh? This would have blown their minds to consider that they could approach the throne of God directly and that he himself loved them. Wait a second. That's a shocker. These guys were conditioned to the priests and the sacrificial system and the tabernacle or temple worship and the notion of prayer that went directly to the Father and love that came directly from the Father would have been shocking news. Listen to this section from the book of 1 Samuel. Just listen. There was a certain man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to, watch, go up year 
by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart said, am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Lord's Supper picture. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, where the tabernacle was set up as part of their worship, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, watch, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli confronts her. How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord at the tabernacle with offerings and portions with Eli looking on. It says, Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered, Watch, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. The thing we need to appreciate about this context, about these 11, what they would have heard, what they would have understand, was stood when he says, he himself loves you. When you pray in my name, you're going to have direct access. We need to realize that their worship was driven by sacrifice. You couldn't go up there without a sacrifice and worship God. It was driven by a tabernacle or temple and mediated by a priest This priest, like Eli here, serves sort of a go-between overseeing and monitoring worship. And here they're having to go up and be monitored. They're having to go up yearly as often as they want to worship. That's the Jewish context. So the notion of access would have been quite a surprise. Another passage to listen to to give us a sense of context Here's the Jewish mindset about the ineffable, unutterable, the name. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, as he searches for a crack in the floor to hide from a white-hot holy God. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the context for him saying, he himself loves you? You're going to have direct access in my Name? Now that is a shocker. As a bunch of folks that have been this side of the cross for 2,000 years, I fear that we've missed this because many of us, most of us learn that God is love before we learn that God is holy. We were taught that we're a special little snowflake and God has a special plan for our lives before we smelled the stench and experienced the horror of the flood. We used it, I think, for Evan's baby room dedication. Somebody's. <laughs> Luke's. All right, you embarrassed me. You're supposed to come along with me and agree. Yeah, I remember that. I bet I could ask for a show of hands. Who's used it for baby, ded- baby room dedication? It's a cute story for kids, but we've missed the horror of it. We've missed the judgment of it. We've missed the white-hot holiness of our God that meted it out. Because we learned God is love first. We miss the reality of him saying, the shock of him saying, he himself loves you. And you're going to have access because of what I'm about to do. We've got to first learn that God is a consuming fire. We've got to look for a crack in the floor with Isaiah. We've got to learn first that God is just, uber just. That God is ultra holy, that he is wrath, that he, a terrible combination, that he knows all things and that we're sinners. That's a bad combination. We've got to engage that and quake with Isaiah first. Before we learn that God is love, we've got to know that he doesn't wink at sin. Had we learned that first, and almost become a bunch of Jews first, then we would appreciate these words, he himself loves you because of me. You're going to have direct access in my name. I hate, hate the reality that the Old Testament has been reduced Unfortunately, to a collection of moral teachings and character studies. We've missed getting to know the character of our God. We've missed the whole backdrop of the picture where grace shows up. We think we're owed it. We've missed all that so we don't quake and marvel as these guys hear these words. If we don't see 
his white hot holiness first, if we don't know that he's a consuming fire, if we don't know that he is uber just and ultra holy first, then the words in Jesus' name can be a tag that we just put on the end of a prayer instead of an appeal, a declaration, an urgent appeal. I'm confronting a white hot holy God confidently, boldly, because of your son's finished work. That's the only way I can approach you. In Jesus' name becomes a sweet appeal if we get it right. I wish in some ways that we could feel the Jewish weight of a holy God before we have felt and feel the freeing lightness of Christian liberty. It's only in feeling that weight that we can appreciate that he himself loves you. I wish we could feel the daily weight that a imaginary Jewish man named Jacob would have felt as he picked out an unblemished lamb. As he puts the noose around his neck weekly, daily, monthly, yearly to goes up to go up to worship. I wish in some ways we could feel the fur of his innocent head underneath our hand as the other hand felt the warm blood gush over our knife I wish that we could tremble with Jacob and with the priests as he cleans entrails and separates fat from sinew and as he places these things on the altar and burns some of it and eats some of it and offers some of it to Jacob And they have a meal with God. And they all quake together before the white hot holiness of God. I wish that we could feel that first. And then we could, that we could worship and pray with Jacob. Then we would marvel at the shocking access that we have to the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Then we could really celebrate a veil torn in two. You know that reality? Three of the Gospels present that picture. That when Christ says it is finished, that the veil from the holy place to the holy of holies was torn from top to bottom. I love that too. It's torn creation word. As creator says, now it's time. Access. You've got direct access to me because of what just happened. Torn from top to bottom then we could marvel together at the reality of prayer. The shock of prayer that we can approach this throne boldly. And that we approach him not looking for a crack in the floor with Isaiah. We approach him calling him Abba, Father. Not the ineffable, unutterable name, but Abba. That's what prayer is. Maybe if we took in the shock of prayer that we may be more prone to do it. Let's pray together. In Jesus' name. Father God, when we take in what your people didn't have before Christ and his work, when we quake with Sinai and tremble with Achan, when we watch the ground swallow Korah, when we watch Uzzah drop dead, 
when we watch Nadab and Abihu become an offering? Lord, when we consider your might and your holiness, and we consider that you know all things and that you don't weak at sin, we marvel together that in the work of Jesus Christ that we can approach you. We're shocked by that notion that we have direct access and that you love us yourself. We marvel that we can boldly approach you and call you Abba because of what Christ has done. We are amazed that you yourself love us. Lord, together this morning we declare all of this is only and absolutely and completely achieved by Christ. So we pray in his name as an appeal, as a declaration. We pray it with conviction. We enjoy together our surprise access by his work. We approach you covered in his blood, wearing his righteous garments. We enjoy your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue worship by having a meal with God. As we're about to share in the Lord's Supper, I think it's appropriate that um, I share also the caution from the Word that we can do this wrong. Um, the finished work of Christ, uh, the things we are to remember, this is to be done in remembrance of Christ. If we go to this in any other, other manner, uh, we can do this wrong. This is also for those who are in Christ, those who are believing on Christ. It's for His sake in remembrance of him. If you're visiting with us today, I invite you to share with us. Enjoy this supper. If you're not believing on Christ, to do so would bring judgment on yourself. Let me share with you from his word your story. Those believing on Christ. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But hear this. Hear the veil being torn here. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in, this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember. 
that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers in the covenants of promise, having no hope and without, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near. You've just heard full access to the Father. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with his saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... Also, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Matthew 26, 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. His body broken for us. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. His blood shed for us. We're going to continue in our worship with an offertory. Just a minute. Uh, those of you who are going to be involved in the baby dedication, in the next few minutes you can make your way out and get your kiddos uh, uh, we're going to continue to worship, but let's pray. Father, so thankful for your mercy and grace. Father, I think it's hard for us to fully comprehend. Creator, as I have a father, Father, I pray. You would grow us in that. Father, we'd understand your holiness. That would impact us in how we move and walk every day. Your loving kindness, your mercy, the finished work of Christ. Father, that by hearing your word, it changes us, changes our worship, changes our aroma to those around us. Father, this morning we thank you for Christ. Father, we pray that this offertory will be a time of worship. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We get to end our time this morning with a, uh, a baby dedication, which is always fun. Psalm 127 states, Unless the Lord builds the house, 
Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the, child, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Uh, families, go ahead and make your, ways up, your, your way up here, please. Make your ways up. Mark and Wendy Atkinson are with Juniper Eleanor Scout Atkinson, formerly known as Junie. Chad and Samantha Spear with Henley James Spear. Tim and Kara coming with Nicholas Lane and Brother Zane. Trevor and Jenny are here with Caitlin Joy Goodman. Katie with Brother Noah. Welcome. I got some packets for y'all. Where's Junie? I know she can't read, but you can read that to her. Where's Caitlin? Little Katie. There you go. This packet has some information and some some books in it, just resources, and then uh, some letters to you guys, and then to your uh, little kiddos as well. There's Henley, buddy, and Nick. There you go. As I spoke with Annie and Tiffany this week, Annie and Tiffany are two that um, spend a lot of their time uh, ministering to families and to their children. Annie mentioned that as she studied some of the children dedicated in the Bible, a few things stuck out. Uh, In our Old Testament, before Hannah, who was mentioned this morning, before she was even pregnant with Samuel, she made a vow to God and she said, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. John the Baptist was presented in the temple, and later we know from Luke 180 that he grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness. Jesus was presented at the temple, and we know from Luke 240 that he grew and became strong, was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. In Annie's words, as the parents are presenting their kiddos to the Lord on Sunday, they're giving them a name within our body. Crosspoint is becoming family, and we are together with their parents, dedicating them to the Lord and promising to walk with their family to raise them up under the authority of the word. We do that because our word is breathed out by God and profitable for such an occasion. In short, we're all in this together. What that means is you, the church does not look at a family and say, good luck, we'll see you in a little while. And the family doesn't look at the church and say, okay, it's up to you, I'm going to drop them off, y'all take care of it. We're in it together. And uh, to illustrate that, if you are family or in a small group with anyone standing up here, please stand. That's at least weekly, and there's a lot of people absent today. Y'all can go ahead and be seated. What I want us to see is that it is a a group effort, and here we, we truly, truly value children as a gift from the Lord. We, we hope for many quivers full, as Psalm 127 uh, states. Uh, I'd like to have the other elders come up, and I think it works out four on four here. And uh, I'd like to pray Deuteronomy 6, pray specifically Deuteronomy 6 over our family. So let's pray together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Lord, our prayer is your words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, 
when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and the vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Lord, the story that you have given us in your breathed out word is a story of a people. And Lord, to be a part of that people is an absolute privilege. We counted a privilege this morning to welcome uh, new babies into the world, and we're going to do it again next month, and likely the month after that. And I'm thankful for the blessing that you've bestowed upon this body. I pray for each of these families. I pray that you would bless them abundantly. I pray that you would not be forgotten in day-to-day life in the home. I pray that you would be spoken of as they sit down, as they lie, and as they go by their way. Lord, I pray that your glory would be put on display. I pray for salvation in the lives of each of these babies and their siblings, that you would draw them by the work of your spirit, as we have heard clearly identified this morning, to Jesus. And I pray that you would be enjoyed. Lord, I pray a blessing over these families, that they would um, go today and just um, seek to put your glory on display by living according to your principles and your design. Your design is beautiful. We can see the fruit of it here this morning. Lord, we love you very much, and we count it a privilege to be uh, considered your people. We trust the Holy Spirit this morning, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all stand up here for a minute. Ben's going to... Part of a church, but the identifying with that people didn't mean that much to me. And thankfully, the Lord has arrested Eric with that, and Eric wants to stand in agreement with us as a member. I encourage you to get to know him, get to know his story. I was thinking about this, about Eric. When I was a little kid, one of the first movies I ever got to go see in my whole life was Star Wars. Star Wars, like whatever number that, six? Four. Four. Okay, I knew my kids would know. I spent the whole movie sitting there with my mouth ajar like this. In fact, all my friends made fun of me because my mouth was ajar, for real. I'm sitting there like this because I was taking it in. That's Eric every week. Seriously, dining. I mean, dining, and it's sweet to see it. I can see y'all. I, when, when you're sleeping, I know you're sleeping. <laughs> when you're worshiping, I know it, man. I see it, and I've got to see that in Eric the last few months, and it's a sweet privilege to join him in membership this morning to this body. Y'all stand, and we'll dismiss. Come up and meet these folks, hug these babies, and shake Eric's hand as we dismiss. Lord, we are so blessed with this, this noise of little kids in tomorrow's church. Pray that you'll find us faithful making disciples and doing that hard, difficult daily work of gardening in little lives. Lord, we're thankful for a seed that bears fruit that we can sow into their lives that you will um, work through to bring a harvest for your glory. Thankful also for Eric and for a young man that enjoys you and wants to be part of this body and make that public. Lord, we uh, just pray that he'll be equipped for worship and wonder and glory uh, through his life as a result. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.